Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm very, very grateful and excited for my guest today. Uh, we've been connecting for a while. We've caught up in person and what a story. I'm looking forward to hearing it a bit more, but uh, the brief story to introduce our guest, Emma is a host of the Life Uncaged podcast and an international speaker, mentor, and guide in transpersonal transformation. She liberates men and women from limitations in life and business using emotional and energetic intelligent practices. She is a certified matrix imprinting practitioner. We are certainly going to hear what that means in a bit of time. Emotional, uh, emotional freedom technique practitioner, energy healer, holistic counselor, human performance coach, and meditation teacher. And we don't stop there. Emma has spoken and taught to audiences internationally across a variety of sectors, including large corporate companies, small businesses, spiritual organizations, and professional development groups, and has changed lives of hundreds of people through her online masterclasses, group programs, and her private one-on-one mentorship. Working between the metaphysical and the physical world, Emma ensures that every client's session, keynote speak, or digital content piece that she creates is infused with an energetic invitation or activation into remembering who we truly are at our core. She is wildly committed to creating space for both men and women to step into their fullest expression so that as a generation, we can live and love unshamedly and drive humanity into a new way of being. That was a mouthful and it's (laughs) well-deserved. I'm looking forward to picking apart just that alone, but I'm I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you for joining, uh, joining me today, Emma. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me. I'm excited because obviously we've spoken quite a lot. So this is really exciting to, to dive deep into this, this type of content. When I get guests on that I'm confident that we can pitch and catch with, it's normally a good time. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm pretty confident this is going to be pretty fun. So Em, uh, I would love to hear your story. I don't know your story. I, we caught up and you gave me, I guess, a, a, a snippet of it. Um, but I'd love for you to, I guess, share with everyone, um, I guess, your story, who you are, and uh, how you came to be the uh, the woman you are today. Mm, beautiful, loaded question. I think one thing that's really interesting about this question that I've been doing a lot of like self-reflection on is actually how a lot of coaches, a lot of um, teachers, a lot of people in the personal development space are taught that we need to have a story in order to sell what we sell and show up in business. And it's really interesting because the further along in my career I go, the less important my story is and more the wisdom that I've attained from those experiences. So that's something that I kind of am in the process of at the moment. But long story short, I grew up in England. I was born into a very spiritual family. My dad's an energy healer. My granddad is an energy healer. My mum is psychic. So ever since I can remember, I've always been in and amongst meditation and crystals and healing. And I was very psychically strong from a young age. So when I was a child, I couldn't really control or center myself when it came to my psychic abilities. So that was quite overwhelming. Um, And, you know, I kind of naturally developed a bit of social anxiety because it's very, to be so young and so strongly psychic, it's a lot of information you're absorbing and not really knowing what to do with it. Um, So school wasn't a very good time for me. I was definitely, I had a lot of social anxiety. I developed a binge eating um, habit. I was just very insecure. I felt like I couldn't use my voice. There was just this whole season of suppression for me, really. Um, And then leading on, like how I got into the space is I've obviously always been around energy practices because of my dad and my granddad. Um, And I've had energy psychology coaching sessions prior to the certification. But I just felt really, really inspired to actually certify as an energy psychologist. And so that was my kind of gateway into becoming a coach and actually working in personal development. Um, And so that was the emotional freedom technique and the matrix re-imprinting, which I think you'll probably ask me about. Um, And so I, I kind of through those certifications, I also certified as an energy healer and as a meditation teacher, holistic counselor. All of those certifications really offered me this beautiful psychological foundation, uh, which I believe was almost the, yeah, like the foundation for my spiritual awakening. And this is where shit gets really exciting. So again, kind of long story short, because there's a lot of moving parts to it, but 
I was in a long-term relationship uh, for about four years and it was a beautiful soul love relationship, but there were a couple of things that weren't in the relationship that I feel were absolutely necessary for an intimate relationship. And it was all around sexuality and intimacy. And it was bringing up a lot of these deeply suppressed wounds of rejection and feeling unwanted and feeling abandoned. And basically that was the the catalyst to my spiritual awakening. So I went to go and see an energy healer. And I said, look, I've actually developed PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. And I said, you know, this is what's going on in my relationship. There's not much intimacy. There's, you know, the sexual, the sexual um, relationship and the passion. It's just not there. It's something that I really desire. It's something very important to me. And I think it's developed as polycystic ovary syndrome because any illness or physical ailment you get, which is connected with the reproductive system is connected with your feminine energy and a block in your feminine energy, as well as other Uh, particular emotions that kind of block those energy centers and so this healer this is actually something that I don't talk about very often but I feel like I kind of want to go into it because I think you'll enjoy it so I had a I had a session with this healer it was a 90 minute session and it was just talking and he was just unpacking everything and he said to me he was like Emma I don't do this with many people but I feel like you're ready for it he was like I want you to come back in two days 90 minutes and we're just going to do a healing. And I was like, okay, cool. So a couple of days later, I came back. Now at the time I didn't understand what the healing process was, but now I have the understanding that he actually performed an energy orgasm on me. And what an energy orgasm essentially is, is where you, you move your, your prana, your life force energy, your chi from your root center all the way through to your crown chakra and then all the way back down again which also is essentially what an orgasm is and we can dive into that so what happened when i left the room that day was absolutely can i swear on this absolutely (laughs) it was absolutely fucking insane i literally got up from that table and i felt like i'd just like popped a psychedelic like life was just so fucking different um Like everything was vibrating. Like I was so connected. Everything was vibrant. Everything, like I was just feeling all of this, like love frequency. It was just insane. And what happened is a couple of days before that, I got let go of my job. So I ended up having like this six week period of just going into nature every single day and just being with this energy that I was feeling. It was like nothing you can even explain in the human language. It's unbelievable. And then after that six weeks of complete bliss, Then the dark night of the soul kicked in, which I'm sure you've heard about. So the dark night of the soul is a very common term used in spiritual awakenings where you really, you really basically all of your deeply suppressed wounds and traumas are unearthed and they will just all come up and you're just really feeling the immensity and the intensity of all of your biggest fears. Um, So that went on for about a year and a half. Through that process, I just spent so much time in self-inquiry, in meditation and contemplation. I was journaling. It was just the biggest form of self-discovery for me. Um, And, you know, simultaneously, I was working alongside coaching clients. And I think after that phase of my life, I was really able to understand coaching and energy and the mind and emotions and spiritual awakening, everything at such a more raw authentic, deeper level that now the way that I show up with my clients and in the work that I do is, is at a completely new depth. And yeah, after then it's, it's kind of just been a continual exploration from then really. I thought you said you're not that good at sharing your story before we started. That was, that was amazing. Thank you. you. Uh, I've got a lot of questions. I don't know where to start. Uh, I want to, I want to, maybe let's let's go higher chunk and then we'll chunk it down what is you said healing process and you the thing that i guess interests me about you you're quite diverse in i guess the different domains or structures i don't know if domains is the right word to use there but the Mm -hmm. different teachings and the way you do it could we maybe go like what is the what is a healing process so say someone's listening to this right now and they they feel stuck they feel Mm -hmm. lost they they've got low levels of self-worth they've got traumas they've got things that they haven't healed through what is the healing process, generally speaking? And then maybe we can get a little bit more specific from there. Mm. 
This is a real interesting one. One thing that I say to people is that when you switch from seeing yourself as a person to seeing yourself as a field of energy, the healing process is very, very different. So a lot of people were still stuck in their person, in their persona, in their identity, and they're trying to heal from that place, which is going to feel very icky. It's going to take a while. It's going to feel very stagnant. When you realize that each and every one of us is actually um, an energy field and the healing is essentially the fact that there is an energy that is ready to be transmuted because energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be transformed and alchemized. When you realize that that's what it is, it actually, you see it from a very different perspective. You see it that it's not that you have to do anything or that you have to um, like force anything. Healing is actually a natural consequence of the letting go of the identity and of the persona. So it's, I feel like we're kind of taught that healing is this, you know, you have to go deep into your wounds and then, um, you know, do this, this and this. And there's so many practices, there's so many techniques, like honestly, just looking at it. And I'm just kind of speaking unfiltered here. I actually don't know what's going to come out, but I feel like when you see yourself as an energetic being and all your main focus is just to feel and in the process of you feeling what you've been resisting, there is this spontaneous healing that happens. And you could say that this is surrender, this is letting go. Um, you know, you could label it as all of those things, but really for me, I think it's so simple. One, one thing that's really important in the work that I do is to strip the complexity back and make things so fucking simple and streamlined and efficient, because that's what I'm all about. And so when it comes to healing, it's just when you feel the thing that you've been resisting, it no longer is the leading energy in your life. It no longer has a pull over you. And it's so you, it feels like this letting go and surrender, but it's actually the fact that you're no longer resisting that part of you. And then naturally it alchemizes into something different. Why do so many people resist it? Like feel what you've been resisting. I don't know if I've just never heard that before, but it just... Wow, sounds spot mm. on. Mm. Why do so many people, because you're right, if you've got things that you've been thinking about, but you avoid it, you distract yourself, the ego gets involved mm -hmm. and stops you from feeling through it and just dissolving that problem. Mm -hmm. Why do so many people, I guess, default to the, the, the first option where they, they just don't do it, they avoid it, they distract themselves, they why didn't why if it is so simple why do so many people the majority of people in my opinion um mm. do the opposite mm, this is such a powerful question first of all i just want to celebrate you for what you said about dissolving the problem i think that's something that is such a an intricate little switch in mindset from solving a problem to dissolving a problem if you feel that you need to solve a problem then you're actually affirming that there is a problem there to solve when your focus is on dissolving the problem, you're actually in the mindset of being the observer of your life experience. And you understand that the problems that you have in your life are actually just an illusion in your mind. It's not actually a problem. It's just a limitation that you've come up against that you're perceiving as a problem. So when you dissolve the fact that there is a problem that you perceive there to be a problem, and I'm putting that in quote marks, you actually realize that there is no, there is no problem. I hope that makes sense. It's a no. bit wordy. What do you say to someone who's got their victim? Uh, and I say this with no, no disrespect to anyone that's listening to this, but who may have, and I'm guilty. I've been there before. I've been a victim. I've played victim. I've blamed, I've, I've, I've blamed my circumstances, my parents, my upbringing, my childhood, my, my government, the weather. I've blamed everything <laughs> I could possibly think of. Uh, so for someone who's maybe in that victim, maybe phase of their life or they're being challenged right now and they're saying, fuck you, Emma, you don't know what I've been through. You don't, you mm -hmm. haven't experienced what I've experienced. You don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And they say, this is a problem. This is something, this is injustice. This is bullshit. This is whatever. What would you say? How may, if you've had maybe a client like that before, or what would you say generally speaking to people that are struggling to even accept what you just said? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Honestly, I've actually just worked through a victim resistor, a victim archetype that I was fully in. And so this is actually something that's very fresh and very close to my heart right now. If you feel, especially if you're in this chronic pattern of 
being in scarcity with finances or attracting people that treat you like shit in relationships or not being able to move forward in your business, you must look at the part of you that actually enjoys being the victim. Mm. There is a part of you, this is what's really ironic. This is the beautiful paradox of life because I think God just wanted to have a laugh with us is that we think that we are having these so-called problems because we're not worthy or because we don't feel deserving or because we don't feel enough. That's actually not the case. We're attracting these problems because those problems serve us in some way, shape or form. So for example, I haven't actually shared this with anyone yet. And I'm doing, I'm running a, a workshop on this in a few weeks because it was such a potent realization and transformation in my own life. But with me, I always rejected being the victim. I was always like, I went through bullying in school and I've been a target of a lot of hate and um, yeah, like bullying really went in, when I was a dancer and competing in that and also in school. And, you know, my mom would say, you're being bullied. And I'm like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. Like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so I actually, in that moment that I decided that being a victim was not good, I actually like suppressed it and rejected it within myself. Last year, I started working with all these clients that were in their victim. I was also in a relationship with someone who was very alive in their victim archetype. And I was like, fuck, I was like, this means that there's a part of me that is a victim that's about to come up because my external reality kept reflecting this to me. And my reaction at that time, if someone came to me with a victim mindset of, oh, this keeps happening in my life, this keeps happening in my life, I would be like, fucking deal with it. Like, get out of that shit mindset and deal with it. And so now, now that I've just been through like my victim, the part of me that I'd suppressed that was a victim, now I actually get it. It's such a strong delusion when you're in that, that you cannot see a way out. When you are in your victim, nothing will seem to make sense. It will feel like no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter the meditation, the journaling, the podcast, no matter what, it is so fucking hard to see outside of that circumstance. What I realized is that we must look at the pleasure that we actually get from being the victim. So in my instance, I received love and support through being the victim. So through being in many relationships where there was emotional abuse, there was narcissism, there was, you know, my partner was controlling and manipulative what did that do? Well, it made me get on the phone to my friends or my family and be like, oh, he's done this again, or he's done this again. And I was actually receiving love, support. You could even say significance. I was being seen. I was being heard. And so this has come up massively recently for me. And I was like, fuck, there was this part of me that actually really enjoyed being the underdog because I was being seen and I was being heard. And the fact of not being the victim meant I didn't know how to get that need met of love, acceptance and significance. So what I did to kind of move through that, first of all, was to take responsibility that there is always a self-serving motive in what we're attracting into our life. So even if life appears to be shit for you, there is actually a reason you're attracting it. It feels safer to have less money because it maybe it feels safer to have less responsibility. It feels safer to be single because maybe being intimate with someone will really bring up your wounds of being seen for who you truly are. So even though you're complaining and you're like, I really want to find a partner and I just can't find anyone, you need to check in with yourself. How does it serve you to be single? How is your unconscious patterning running the show and be, being the leading energy and, and actually protecting you from pain by giving you these circumstances that feel like shit, but they're actually serving you because they're protecting you from something, from fear, from hurt, from wounding. So when we can actually have the courage to dive deep into that and then to fully feel all of the fear, which is embedded in that thing that we're resisting, then this is where the alchemy happens in the spontaneous healing. Let's do some role play. I'm a victim right now. <laughs> and I am blaming my circum. Uh, let's use relationship. You use that a couple examples in there, and it's mm -hmm. like I can't find everyone else, anyone. All girls are uh, a shit, and I there's no good ones left anymore, and I can't do it. What would be uh, the steps, or even because I don't believe that 
um, I guess healing or growth is is cookie cutter for people. I think everyone has their own experiences, their own beliefs and their own ways of, of healing and growing. But what are maybe some practices that someone who's listening to this, who's open-minded enough to start to do the, the deeper work and the ex- exploration within themselves. What are some practices that yeah. someone could do? Whether you've mentioned some things I've just talked, you've mentioned journaling, you've mentioned mm-hmm. meditation, you've mentioned, obviously you've done work with a coach or a healer um, yourself, mm-hmm. um, courses, programs, books. Like what is it that you would suggest for the person listening right now who has healing to be done, which is everyone, everyone has healing <laughs> to be done. Um, but whether they're just not conscious of how do I get started? How would you get started for maybe a freshie who wants to start some healing? Mm. I think the fact that you mentioned working with a coach or a healer is such an important piece of the, the process because the thing about working with a coach or a healer is you're able to be witnessed mm. in complete non-judgmental presence. Now, the reason that so many of us have suppressed wounds and trauma is because as children, we weren't encouraged and welcomed and nurtured for exactly who we were. We were told what to do, who to be, what was right and wrong, what was good and bad. And so we don't know how to fully be ourselves without not being told otherwise. So when you can sit in front of someone and they can witness you fully as you are, in all of your shame, in all of your fear, in all of your rage, in all of your beauty, in all of your greatness, your genius, when someone can witness you in all that you are, there is this magical healing that takes place because that's actually what we desired as children was to just simply be witnessed for who we were and to not be molded and shaped. So for me, the most empowering part of my own journey has been working with a coach. I work with a coach weekly for that reason. Now, Here's the thing. When I first started off in my personal development journey, I actually did a lot of self-work and I was really preaching self-work because I had the level of self-awareness to be able to go in and do that. The thing with me, I I don't know if you're familiar with human design. No, I'm not. So for anyone listening, one of the most powerful ways that you can align with your purpose, with your mission here with your soul essence and energetic blueprint is to know your human design. So you can actually download your free chart on, you can use mybodygraph.com or myhumandesign.com. And so essentially there are five different profiles in human design. When you understand what yours is, it allows you to see the biggest challenges that you'll go through in your life and also where you're in your, your most power. So for me, I'm a projector. So I have the ability to see other people exactly as they are in a way that they can't see themselves. I can see the way that the collective is going. I can see things that other people can't see, basically. So projectors are known for being the visionaries and the guides in the world. That being said, because life is a paradox, I struggle to see myself a lot of the time. So even though I have a really strong self-awareness, I find that working with a coach and actually expressing how I feel and then them reflecting it back to me for me is a very powerful way for me to heal very very quickly because I do have a slight um (laughs) this slight weird thing where I struggle to see stuff sometimes right and I think we all do to a certain extent but so when you are in front of a coach and a mentor allows you to do that now you have to be the most powerful thing you can do in your, in your self-development journey is to develop self-awareness. That's it. Because when I was recently going through this, this victim and I was fully awakened in my victim, it was being awakened so I could bring resolution to that part of myself. And luckily I have the level of self-awareness that I can look at that experience and be like, ah, that's what it is. Because when you don't have the self-awareness, that's when you get stuck. That's when you feel like there's no way out. That's when you get stagnant because when you're actually fully awakened in your trauma, your wounds, when you're fully awakened in those illusions of who you think you are, it's so real for you that you can't see another way. Like you, it's just impossible to kind of move out of that place. So I would say for anyone really starting out on the journey, like to have your main focus is to develop self-awareness will be the most powerful thing I honestly think you can ever do ever ever do how does one develop self-awareness 
So I would say sitting in practice every single day. When I say practice, you could call it meditation. You could call it contemplation. You could call it embodied inquiry is something that I get my clients to do. So essentially, because this is where I sit with meditation is a lot of people are like, right, I'm ready to start. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I'm ready to start my personal development journey. I'm going to get into meditation. But then they just listen to guided meditations all the time or they listen to this is Joe the conversation Dis- we had when we caught up. There's maybe yeah. a of it. So um, yeah. Yeah, anyways, sorry to cut you off. Keep going. That's true. So yeah, we did speak about this because especially with like Joe Dispenza meditations, for example, that are very empower like I think Joe Dispenza is an absolute wizard he's amazing but a lot of people use his meditations to feel good this is the thing like if you're using meditation as a tool to feel good you're not using it correctly because meditation isn't a feel good tool meditation is a self-awareness tool it is the ability to become so aware of your direct experience your thoughts your emotions So when you can sit every single day in practice and you can just take a moment, so don't do a guided meditation, just sit there and just be the witness of everything that's going on for you right now without judgment, without resistance, without attachment and without needing to change it. When you can sit there and be like, okay, what am I feeling in my body? Okay, I'm feeling some sadness. Where is it? It's in my stomach. Okay, cool. I'm just going to lean in. I'm just going to feel it. I'm just going to witness it. It doesn't mean anything. I don't need to put meaning to it. I'm just going to be fully present with it. What are the thought that what are the thoughts that's coming up? Oh, it's this, this, this. Okay, interesting. So I'm not going to feed energy uh, and attention into them right now, but I'm just simply going to be the witness of them so I can be aware of them. This is like this type of practice is like guru Buddha level fucking shit, right? This is like. And this is the thing is you could spend years and years and I'm not guided meditation has its place. It's very, it's very good for people, you know, just getting into it. But if you can actually work up the resilience to be able to do it yourself without someone guiding you to do it, you're going to feel much more in your power. And this is where the shift happens. Like I love my clients. As soon as we start working together, I get them to do this embodied inquiry. I don't get them to do guided meditations because that's actually where you can give your power away by still relying on someone else to guide you through something, to tell you what to do, to tell you how to feel. When you can just simply be the witness of your experience, this separation starts to happen. You start to see your identity as a certain part of yourself and then your awareness as another part of yourself, which is essentially the truth of who you are. We're all awareness in physical form. Your identity is not who you are. It is a persona you've created so that you can survive. So when you sit in practice every day, you start to understand and recognize where parts of your identity, where your thoughts and emotions are, where your triggers are, you start to recognize how that is a limitation in your mind. And you can free yourself from that limitation through being the witness of it. Can you take me through, if you're okay sharing and being vulnerable with us, can you take us through like a, maybe don't might not have to use an actual example of you recently, but what would like the dialogue be like? Could you get like an example of that? Let's say someone, because uh, I've found with people's experiences with meditation, it scares them off. They'll be like, I, I can't do it right. I can't think about nothing. It's like, well, that's not the fucking point. You're actually mm-hmm. meant to, uh, allow whatever comes to you and allow the dialogue to go wherever it is because from the way I, I understand it anyways is the is your mind will will gravitate to things that it wants to work through it wants to dissolve through it wants to come to mm-hmm. terms with but by not allowing yourself to have that space to do it, it it gets distracted by all the external stimulus we have going on social media partying drinking friends a- anything mm-hmm. to stop you from just being with your own thoughts so mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what does what would a dialogue might look like to you? Like, say you sit down, say, you, did you meditate this morning? No, I didn't. That's okay. When <laughs> when when you did last, what would what was like what would like a dialogue oh, be like for you? I actually did. I did do a little practice today. I did like a little, just like a couple of breaths. This is the place where I've got though. Is my whole life is a meditation now? Because when you sit in this embodied inquiry that we're speaking out, when you do that every single day you start to realize that life becomes a meditation. And this is the thing is I think a lot of people use meditation as a way to connect with their spirit or their energy or to kind of unplug from life. But life itself is the meditation. 
like when you when you can really and I'll, I'll go into the question you just asked me in a minute but this will make sense with it when you become the witness and the observer of your life experience everything in your life becomes a meditation every conversation you have every interaction you have you start to contemplate oh what does that mean where does that come from how does that make me feel? And so that in itself is the meditation. So this is why I think you don't need to consistently meditate every day in the way that the personal development industry has kind of shaped meditation um, because your whole life is a meditation. So the meditation I do now is simply contemplation. I just sit there and allow space for my thoughts to be. So that's a beautiful segue into your question. Even asking what the dialogue would look like is almost a way to try and have control over the experience unconsciously. This is the thing. If I say to someone that's never meditated before and I say, just sit there and just create space for anything you're thinking or feeling to simply be there without judgment, they would likely ask the same question that you asked. Well, what does that look like? Well, what do I do? That is the fucking reason that we do this practice. There is no right or wrong. It's just simply creating space to fully be with whatever is in your direct experience right now. Because naturally, when you create space for all your thoughts to breathe, for all your feelings to fully exist without any suppression, any repression, any denying of them, that's when they start to shift because you're giving them space. And this is the thing that is that as humans, especially in this paradigm of toxic masculinity that we've all grown up in and been socialized into, we have this hard wiring that things need to be complex in order for them to be worthwhile or things need to be complex in order for them to make sense. But it's like, for me, I think transformation, healing, everything that you know we do day in, day out is, it's so fucking simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. Like this, you know, the transformation process, it's simple. It's, it's hard to go through, but it's very simple. And so when you literally just be like, okay, I'm just going to set aside 10 minutes to just sit there, whether it's outside, whether it's on a meditation cushion, whether it's laying in bed, I'm just going to sit there and I'm just going to observe myself, observe my thoughts, observe my body, what's going on physically, emotionally, mentally. And if I find that there is a part of me that wants to change a thought or resist a thought or you know, interrupt a thought. I'm just simply going to not go into that reaction, into that default. And I'm going to come back into being awareness, come back into being awareness, come back into being awareness. Every single person walking this planet is desiring and seeking to be witnessed without judgment. Where does that come from? Is that from a conditioned, I guess, need? I guess as kids, we need love to survive and we want it the way that we want it. Is Where does that come from? That need what did you say need to be witnessed need to be witnessed yeah so it comes back to a, a kind of a little bit of what i mentioned before of when we are growing up in childhood this is really the basis of shame is when we're not mirrored back as we are so as a child if our parents so for example i'll give like a specific example so there's Sally. I always use Sally as an example. I don't know a Sally, so <laughs> she's always a good I, name. I do use it as well. I think I got off Gary V. He uses Sally a lot, and I've, Does I've, he? I've, I've yeah, he used Sally, and uh, oh my god, I've, I've I use Sally a lot. But anyways, continue as you were. Oh my god, I actually love that because I, I always talk about this in my courses. I'm like, I don't know where Sally comes from, but she's just there. So say Sally is three years old, and no, so let's say she's five years old. I'll use this example. Say she's five years old. She's just about to go for her first day of school. And then she starts crying and she's like, mom, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Like, it's obviously unknown. It's scary for a five-year-old. And then Sally's mom turns around and goes, Sally, you have to go to school. All the other kids are doing it. You should be grateful you get to go to school. Come on, it's going to be a good time, right? In that moment, Sally wasn't mirrored in the way that she desired to be mirrored. In that moment, Sally's mum projected what she thought onto Sally. In that moment, Sally makes the decision of, oh, it's not okay for me to be sad. Oh, it's not okay for me to feel scared. Okay, I just have to do this because everyone else is doing this. 
in that moment when we are not mirrored back for exactly what we're experiencing, we create a shame-based identity. We think, oh, it's not okay to be sad. Okay. And so we will reject ever showing any sadness or any emotional expression because we're like, oh, no, it's not safe to do so. This is like a really just one example out of so many that I could use. So, and this is the thing is if you notice in the tonality of that example, and I use this specifically, is that what Sally's mum said wasn't intentionally hurtful. It wasn't intentionally to put Sally down. And this is this is the magic of this work is that Sally's mum in that moment where she said, no, come on, like you should be grateful. All the other kids are doing it like this is going to be good. She's saying it in a positive way regardless of if she says it in a positive or negative way, in that moment, Sally does not feel seen and heard. She is not mirrored for exactly who she is. She is being told it is not okay to feel the way she's feeling in that moment. Mm. When this happens, we're, we're coming out of an emotional dark age. If we look at it collectively, there is this, you know, our parents and our parents' parents, they weren't in the whole personal development, emotional expression is okay type of vibe. So this is actually very nuanced, right? In our generation to actually be able to feel emotion is like, holy shit, this is like new shit. So this is the thing is that we will be parenting very differently, I feel, with our kids. But you know, in Sally's example, that is just one little example. And then that could happen the next day. And then it could happen in another area of her life. And then, and so it's this accumulation of Sally believing it's not okay to fully be seen in everything that she feels and everything that she thinks. So she creates this shame-based identity. And then when she's older, she, she has all of this suppressed stuff that's coming up. She goes and sits in front of a coach who sees her completely as she is that mirrors back to her completely as she is without it needing to be any other way. In that moment, she finally feels seen and heard and all of that suppressed stuff has space to come up, to breathe and therefore to be alchemized. So what we can do is we can actually sit in that practice every single day and witness ourselves every single day without judgment. That's the main thing, without judgment. Any thought you have, any desire you have, any fetish you have, any fantasy you have, any like feelings that you have, it's all okay. It's all okay. And when you can finally just reach that point where you can create space for that, you really quickly start to shift these thoughts and the thoughts will naturally start to change. I'm, I've got about 10 questions, but it will be here for five hours. But I, <laughs> one I would like to, uh, even as I read your um introduced you there was a line that really resonated with me i think it's maybe a similar in purposes with us of what what it is that we're here to do uh but she's widely committed to creating space for both men and women to step into their fullest expressions and uh expression and my purpose is to help people express their authentic selves so i'm just curious to i see similarity in that and that's maybe why we connect so well and why we um why we have similar interests and passions where does that come from, from you? And how do you help people do that? Mm. Can I be honest with you? No, no. <laughs> Always. Um, we're all doing the same fucking thing. Like whether you label it as I help people be their authentic self, whether you label it as I help people be their fullest expression, whether you label it as I'm a confidence coach, I'm a mindset coach, I, whatever it is, it's all the same fucking thing. It all comes down to really becoming who we're destined to be in this lifetime. However you word it to me doesn't really matter. I think we word it in a way that most resonates with us and our own personal experiences and who we are, but it's all the same fucking thing. There's that quote from Ram Dass where he says, we're all just walking each other home. That's what we're doing. Um, so the way that I see it, especially with everything that's happened with the pandemic, is that I'm not sure if you're familiar with the individuation process. I'm not. Okay. So this is really powerful for anyone kind of interested in this work. When you understand the individuation process, even understanding it gives you a lot of power in your own transformation journey. So the, so in, I'm like, so many things. The coffee's kicking in as well. Um, so individuation was a term coined by psychologist Carl Jung to basically explain exactly what I just said, which is 
allowing people to become what they're destined to be. Now, the individuation process can be seen almost in two halves. The first half of our life, we create this, our focus is to create a healthy ego. It's to create a personality because we must get our needs met from external sources. So this might sound like a bit of a tangent, but trust me, I'll wrap it up. So when we're born, we're actually relationally dependent beings. When we're babies, we need other people in order for us to survive. We need safety, we need security, we need love, we need affection, we need support, we need food, all of those things. And we cannot fend for ourselves as babies. So we actually rely on relationships for our survival. This is why, by the way, that we care so much what other people think of us, but that could be for another conversation. So the first half of our life is almost like creating this identity, which is based off getting our basic psychological human needs met by the external world. What happens then is we reach this point and not everyone, but I think a lot of people reach this point of the individuation process where it starts to begin, where we start to turn inwards and we're like, hang on a minute, who am I independently from my parents? Who am I independently from my peers, from the culture, from the society that I live in, from the environment? Who actually am I independently from all of those things? And this is where we start the individuation process, where we start to discover who we are beyond just our personality that we've created, beyond the family system that we were born into, or the culture, the geographic location, the ethnicity we were born into. And we start to get very, very curious about our creative potential. And that is essentially the individuation process. Now, some people, I believe, are born into this life more highly individuated than others. And this is this is going quite esoteric, but it's on point with this subject, is that if you think about alternate lifetimes, so a lot of people label this as past lifetimes, there technically is no past, present and future. It's all happening at the same time. But there may be alternate timelines where you've lived many alternate timelines. And so in this life, you might be an old soul, which is what they call it, almost like a wise soul. And so you come in being able to see life already from a slightly different perspective. And I see that I feel like this is what happened with me, because ever since I was young, like I said, you had very strong psychic abilities. I was able to see things that other people weren't. I was able to have this crazy level of self-awareness for my age that people would talk to me and they'd think I was a lot older and I was only like this 12, 12 year old little girl and I'd be like oh. but I was able to have this perspective on life that was a lot more highly self-aware than you you would say you know the general consensus and so for me the individuation process has been easy in terms of my self-awareness was already there to kind of kickstart the process What's happened in the last two years, I believe, with the pandemic is it's the pandemic was a huge catalyst for a collective individuation process. It sounds weird saying collective individuation because obviously it's collective and then individual. But I think what's happened is we're all currently going through this individuation process together collectively. We're starting to question the status quo. We're starting to question what they call the hive mind, which is these cultural or societal philosophies or perspectives, which a lot of us subscribe to because we're obviously born into the culture, but it's like now we're questioning like, is this my truth? Is this actually what I align with? Even when it comes to your life's purpose, your life's mission, you might've been working towards something. You might've been in a career or a job or whatever, and you're working towards it and you're like, this is, this is my version of success and I'm excited to do this and I'm excited to do this. And then maybe during the pandemic, you lost your job or, you know, things just, the company went under, these things started to shift. And now you're like, oh, now I'm actually inquiring, what is my purpose? What truly lights me up? And so we're seeing this shift from the consensus following this, this one version of success, this one version of what it means to be powerful and successful and significant what it means to be a man what it means to be a woman and we're, we're going through this individuation process of hang on a minute what's true for me though despite what anyone else tells me despite what anyone else thinks what is true for me what feels good for me what is most in alignment with me and this is where we start to really tap into our power and align with our true purpose is when we go through this individuation process 
I can't remember the original question, but we went there. <laughs> uh, it was along the lines of where does your, it, it'll probably uh, transform into a different question. Like you use the term destined to be. Can you shed light on what you mean mm-hmm. by that? Because is that a, um, from the moment you're on this earth, there's a predestined destiny or is there a, is there moments in time that change, but that was meant to happen? It's like, maybe that this very sort of like big picture sort of um, uh, yeah. philosophical beliefs maybe here, uh, but is there, yeah. Could you maybe just shed light on maybe your beliefs around it? Mm. Oh my God, this is oh, such a good question. I've got like vibes running through my body. This is such a good question. Um, I think the why this is such a good question as well is because I like to bring a lot of relief to people because I think a lot of people are really suffering in terms of finding their purpose, in terms of actualizing, you know, what they think their destiny is in terms of being a success in this lifetime. And so I like to give relief to people through, through exploring these types of questions. So I believe that we come into this physical reality with a certain divine orchestration of how our soul chooses to express itself in this lifetime for the evolution of humanity. So the way that I see it is that each and every one of us are here for the same purpose, the same soul purpose, which is to contribute to the evolution of human consciousness. So we're all here for the same purpose. So let's just kind of, to me, I think that gives a sense of relief. Sorry. I was just say blanket statement as a whole yeah. of, of what we're here to do. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people are so stuck in their identity and making it personal about them of what am I here to do? What am I here to do? What am I here to do? That we forget that we're actually all, all humans come from the same energetic fabric. Like we're all here for the same fucking reason. So let's just be honest and transparent about that. We've all incarnated here to contribute to ev- the evolution of human consciousness and humanity in itself. Now, how we choose to individually express that purpose, I believe is where our our soul essence comes through and our personal experiences, genetic gifts, talents, blessings, memories, things like that. That's where we really get to shape how we choose to, to contribute to the evolution of human consciousness. So I believe that there are parts of our life that are predestined. I believe that there are certain soul contracts that are made with other souls of okay, in an alternate lifetime, I experienced, um, I'm just thinking there's so much I could go into with this. In in order for us to experience and fully understand something, we must be immersed in its opposite. So say, for example, in an alternate lifetime, I experienced, I wanted to know what it was like to experience true love, true love, unconditional love. So I incarnated into a physical reality where I was abandoned by my mom and my dad. So I could experience what it's like to not have unconditional love. So that through my own journey, my own human experience, I can understand the opposite because how we can't understand something without also knowing its opposite. Like how can we know joy without knowing sadness? How can we know connection without knowing separation or loneliness? It's the same feeling. It's just on different ends of the spectrum. And so you'll find that a lot of people will experience both ends of the spectrums in order to understand its opposite. Does that make sense? It does. So I I believe that there are certain things that are predestined before we incarnate into the physical reality that allow us to explore the perspective that will contribute to the evolution of human consciousness. So that's kind of predestined and there will be certain soul contracts that we, that we create with people to journey at certain times in our life to reflect back to us what, what we need to learn about that particular perspective. I also believe that as we, I do believe that we are almost like born in as this energetic blueprint, the fact that you are called Lewis Huckstep, the fact that you were born on the day that you were born on and you were born into the family you were born on and you know, everything, you can look at it from the finite detail of your numerology, your birthday that adds up to your life path number and your life path number will say what your purpose is and all of this stuff. Like everything is so divinely intricately orchestrated so that your soul can truly live out its predestined destiny in this lifetime. I do also feel that as humans, we have free will. 
And with free will, with the ability, the freedom of choice, we can also direct our life experience through the choices that we make in this physical reality. So I believe when it comes to your purpose, when it comes to your mission, when it comes to your destiny, it's a complete co-collaboration between your non-physical self and your physical self. There are certain things that are predestined, but can you imagine if everything was predestined, what's the fucking point in being a human, right? We need that element of unknown. We need that element of, okay, let's just incarnate. Let's incarnate this soul into Lewis's body and just see what he does with it. Let's see the choices that he makes and the decisions that he makes and the action that he takes. Like, let's see how he shapes his destiny. And it's kind of like the way that I see it is it's this constant communication between your non-physical self to your physical self. And there's your physical self, you take action, which communicates to your non-physical self. This is what I want to do. So it's just this constant co-collaboration. And I think that that just in that knowing, it kind of gives us a lot of power as humans that it's not all up to spirit. It's not all up to God. Like we have to make shit happen here. Like whatever the fuck we want to do here, like we can do it. And also to know that sometimes we might take action and it might feel very heavy and it might feel very weighted. And it could be because we're trying to take action from what our ego wants, from what our identity wants, and not from what our non-physical self is feeding us through inspiration, through creativity, through ideas. So that's where this self-awareness piece really comes in so that we can really have this beautiful co-collaboration happening between these two aspects of ourselves. What a fucking answer. <laughs> what, what an answer. How do I go from there? Uh, um, I think we're going to have to pick up a part two. I, I think I, I've got about uh, probably two or maybe four out of the 30 questions I've written down. <laughs> I think we might have to do a part two. Uh, I'm done for that. Just for time, uh, we will wrap this up, but... Um, you've got so much substance, so much depth, so much, um, you've got so many different ways of teachings that you put together in, in a way that is very understanding, but also challenging at the same time. There's certain words and phrases you've used that uh, it, like really like sunk with me. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity to chat. Mm -hmm. I guess for you, Em, if there's anyone wanted to reach out, connect, whether it be professionally for services, just to connect with you, say thank you, or just question, where could someone find you? Yeah, so I mainly hang out on Instagram. That's <laughs> I think that's the place to be these days. So my handle is at Emma Zia, and Zia is spelled Z-I-A. And I'm sure you'll pop that down in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yes, that's probably the best place to reach me. And if anyone did kind of benefit from anything that came up today or something landed for them, I always love to hear from people. Um, so definitely shoot me a DM and, and I'd love to welcome you into my world. Thank you so much, Em. And for everyone, anyone that's gotten all the way to the end of this episode, thank you so much. If you can, please like, comment, uh, share, please tag, send this to me, send this to Em. We, uh, we love both hearing from, from you guys, hear your thoughts, hear your feedback. And uh, Emma, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're so welcome.